anyway, while that's coming up, um, we are, do you remember, anyone remember before Christmas what book we were looking at in the New Testament? Do anyone remember? Begins with E. Ephesians. Yeah, do you remember Ephesians? And then we stopped for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. And um, don't worry, Stacey, if you can't find it. Ah, brilliant. The cure for anxiety. That's what I'm going to speak on this morning, okay? The cure for anxiety. Okay? Um, what God has to say, what the Bible has to say about anxiety to us. But just in, in, in reference to what I was saying, we will continue Ephesians. We're going to finish it. Don't worry. And we're going to be back in it next week. And we'll finish the book of Ephesians. And I've got a number of things, I think, from my heart this year to speak on. I want to speak on the holiness of God later in the year. I want to speak on heaven and hell. I want to talk about the realities of eternity, those things in coming weeks. Uh, so next week, back in Ephesians. But this week, uh, that title on the screen, The Cure for Anxiety, if you want to turn that reference up, we're going to be in Matthew in chapter 6. And I don't know if anyone else um, has suffered or is suffering from anxiety. But it's, uh, it's a very real issue. It's always been an issue. But it's very predom- predominant today, isn't it? So we're going to have a look at what God's Word has to say about such a subject. So if you have your Bibles, I'm not going to ask Stacey to put the words up because I want to encourage folk to bring your Bible or bring your phone or bring something that has God's Word in it and get used to it. Yeah, I'm always saying this. You can't beat having a Bible in your hand because you'll get as you get used to it, you'll get used to your pages and you get used to where things are. And if you're like me, you write all over it. Some people say, what are you writing? You bite, yes and two. It's like a notepad to me. Um, so I want to encourage you to, I also want to encourage you as well, if you can, bring a, book, bring a notepad. And Because uh, sometimes things are said and you think, ah, something might be said, it might really grip you. And it's great to write it down. So I want to encourage you, just a little note there. So uh, Matthew 6, and I'm reading from the ESV and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then... The light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your whole heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just bow your heads. Father, your word is so poignant, Lord. It speaks right into our hearts. We, we can but read it, Lord, and it speaks to us. Your word is a living book. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words and you will drill them into our hearts and minds this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we are not left to muddle through, but we have the Holy Spirit here and we have your word to guide and lead us, Lord. I pray this morning, Lord, that Lord, for every heart that hears your word this morning, that will be changed, challenged, and transformed, I pray. Including me, Lord, as I speak. I pray in Jesus' name, for the glory of God. Amen. Now, you may remember, um, early last year we talked on the Sermon on the Mount. This, this passage we read from is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, very famous sermon where he covered lots of things. He talked about prayer, he talked about watchfulness, he talked about giving, he talked about lots of things like righteousness. And it was a challenge. And really, the, the Sermon on the Mount is almost like a manifesto, I've said last year, of the Kingdom of God. 
And this morning, he comes right down to it in our own lives. Did you notice all the therefores? All the therefores that are in there. And when you see a therefore in Scripture, always ask yourself, what is it there for? Because usually, the therefore is, leads on to the next instruction. You have to go back and think, well, what was Jesus saying? So in order to get into those verses and say, therefore, don't be anxious about your life, there's a reason why he said that. He's saying something that can give us anxiety. I'd like to read you an article that I found on the internet from September 2020 from The Guardian. And it says this. You probably relate to this. There has been an explosion in anxiety in Britain over the past decade. Research has shown that the financial crash, austerity, Brexit, climate change, social media blamed massive rises in the condition. The debilitating mental illness has trebled among young adults, affecting a third of women aged 18 to 24, and has increased across the board among men and women under 55. The findings emerged in one of the biggest studies of anxiety undertaken in the UK for many years, examining trends in diagnosis and treatment by GPs in 1998 by analysing 6.6 million patients at 795 practices across the UK. The analysis found the countries experienced what the lead researcher, Professor Nick Fremantle, called a massive increase, a profound increase in anxiety, which began in 2008 when the worldwide crash caused by bad bank loans triggered large-scale unemployment and financial insecurity. Given the steep increase, increase in anxiety revealed by this research and the sheer number of people affected by it, it is now clear that Britain has a serious and worsening problem of anxiety, which can have devastating effects on people's lives. And all this data stopped just before the COVID-19 pandemic. And the article says, we can only speculate how those figures look now. Anxiety. A pandemic. On a scale we've never known before. Now, I don't know about you, but anxiety can be a very real thing in our own lives. You know, I, I have to tell you, I'm quite a carefree kind of person. But I went through it. I've been through anxiety. I've been through times when I've woke in the night and wonder, worry about my health, fear about the future. You see, it's almost like a spirit that's affecting everybody. It gets into our hearts. I'm sure there isn't anyone in here who hasn't been affected at some point by anxiety. We can't help it, can we? Somehow we can just, we just find ourselves worrying. So what's, what's the causes and what's the cure? 
You know, please understand, this is not a self-help seminar. This is not, well, try this. And now, there are many, many, many wonderful things that will help. I am, for one, a great believer that talking and getting some help from outside sometimes can really help you. But I want to I go deeper than that. I want to go back and say, what does God say? What's God got to say? Because that's what we hear. We want to hear God this morning. We want to hear his spirit speak right into our lives. You know, I don't class myself. Do you think anyone, any, any pessimists in here? Anyone, anyone, you're more pessimistic. Maybe you'll hear something and you immediately think, of, well, what about that? And you meet, the, you meet these optimists, optimists who are full of life and excitement and the pessimists all think, oh, there they go again. Another new idea. And somebody once said, you know, a pessimist is an optimist with experience. But I don't know. I don't know what category you would fall in. Are you pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Are you somewhere in the middle? I think we're all somewhere in the middle most of the time. But you know, we, we, we think, don't we, that our life's going to go on forever. You know, when I was young, I never considered dying. I never really worried about it. If I'm going to be here forever. I don't just mean as a Christian. I mean, you're just carefree. But as you get older, I think you become more care-aware. Are you care-aware? Are you care-free? You know, James has something to say. Before we get into this, I'm very aware of time. Um, James, in, who was the brother of the Lord, in that little epistle we, wrote, we read last week, Glenn touched, touched on it last week, I touched on the week before, about trials and tribulations and troubles. He said something else a bit later on in his epistle. And how often are we like this? Just listen to what he has to say. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town. We'll maybe spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We will live and do this or do that. My good old dad used to say that. Because he'd meet other ministers and say, next year we're going to have a camp, we're going to have a Bible week. It's going to be great. We're going to meet here next year in August. And my dad would say, an old Latin expression, DV, God willing. God willing. Because only two weeks ago, I stood at this lectern and I said, you don't know what a day will bring. And my life was affected two weeks ago when my good old mum went into glory. But we don't know. And anxiety can get on the back of that sometimes. But let's look. Look down at your word. And let's look at some things that Jesus had to say. So we've got that very clear command from Jesus in verse 25. Don't be anxious. But let's back up a little to verse 19. It might help us with our thoughts on anxiety. And in verse 19 we read this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. <coughs> Burglary and theft is not a 20, 20th century thing. It's been going on since Bible times. Decay is not something that started just recently. It says there about rust. The Greek word for rust means brosis. It means that everything's been eaten away. It doesn't matter how much you do your house up and how much you do things. And it's great to do those things. But they're not going to last. Everything is being eaten away, really. It's an encouraging word, this, isn't it? <laughs> but the question is, what are you investing your life in? Real treasure or fool's gold? Fool's gold. Have you heard of fool's gold? It looks very much like the real thing. It's actually called iron pyrite. And if you see it in the ground, you think it's gold. But it takes a little bit of scratching and testing and you find out it's not. It's not the real thing. But as we go through this life, the treasures of this world, the trinkets, can seem very attractive. Very attractive. But they're not going to last. The more you have, the more stressed you are. You buy a new car. And one of the kids... Spills a milkshake in the back. Or there's crisps all over the floor. Or worse still, the wife is putting it in the drive and she scratches it. That's called preacher's license. Did you find out don't get me wrong. I'm not against things. But if you've got things, or if things got you. The Bible has lots to say about being a wise steward. You know, it's not a case of not looking after your family, not looking after yourself wisely. Proverbs 13, 22 talks all about inheritance. It talks about the diligent in Proverbs 21, making plans. It finance, that's okay. But what are you doing with it? What's it for? What's the motive of your heart? Proverbs says a very interesting, it talks about ants. It says, go and look at the ant. How they store things up. Wise little things, aren't they? Little creatures that are so small and apparently insignificant. But they're wise. But the question is, are you putting your life into fool's gold, which isn't going to last into eternity? Or are you, are you storing up treasures in heaven? But how do I do that? How do I store up treasure in heaven? You know, you can't take any of this with you. I've said before from this pulpit, the only thing you'll take is relationships. It's really important how you live your life with each other. Because we'll be together forever. And your influence may may and probably will have a significant impact on someone being in glory one day. So never underestimate that. 
But how do you lay up treasure in heaven? Look down at your word again. Go back a little bit into the beginning of the chapter, Matthew 6. Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, everyone watching, just get me wallet out. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Oh, I bet they love this. I bet they love it when Jesus said this. Like the, like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Oh. So, doing, being a generous-hearted person, you'll be rewarded. That's treasure in heaven, folks. See, if you, if you make a big deal of it now, guess what? It's a nice thing to do, but you get your reward now. You know, say, oh, he's a good lad, isn't he? He's kind. That's your reward. Keep it quiet. The audience of one who sees everything will reward you. So the treasure of giving. Look down again, verse 5. And when you pray, now listen, we love praying. Terry said this morning, come on 7 o'clock, honestly, we love to pray. Now, Jesus isn't saying this about uh, those who are elaborate in their prayers and, oh gosh, I wish I could pray like such and such. I'm not going to that prayer meeting because I can't really pray. I can't pray out like Terry and quote scriptures. I, you know, I don't know much. Hey, don't worry about it. Come and learn to pray. It's great to pray in public because we can all say amen when you pray. And you'll learn, you'll grow in it. It's a bit like going to the gym. And I used to go to the gym with my mates who were far stronger than me. You don't want to look like a weed, do you? So you either don't go or you injure yourself and never go again. No. <laughs> Start with a lightweight. Thank you, Lord, you love me. Oof. Never done that before. There's a great place for public prayer. But what, what's, what's the word saying to us here? Verse 5. This is really about religious people who like to blow trumpets and look religious in public. Verse 5. When you pray, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites, the actors. That's what that word means, an actor. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Wow, they're religious. Ooh. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, when you pray, do you do this? Go into your room. Shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, well, guess what? Reward you. The treasure of prayer. Wow. Didn't know that. Didn't know there was treasure in praying. Not only, you know, it's not, I've said before, it's not, it's not sanctified worrying. Praying. You don't have to tell, well, you know, last week, Lord, Auntie Mary fell off the bus. 
And I don't know, Lord, what... Bless, the Lord knows. It's good to pray on your own. But get before God. Worship Him. Trust Him. In the quiet place. What's your prayer life like? Wow. It's gone quiet in here. The treasure, big one, big one, of forgiveness. Oh. The treasure of forgiveness. Look at verse 14 of Matthew 6. This is just after the Lord's Prayer. Well, really, it's the disciples' prayer, isn't it? Because Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. But he says in verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, or their sins or wrongs against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive your others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Oof. That's a bit serious. I thought God forgave us all. I thought he would just love us all and just forgive us. You see, Jesus once told a story about forgiveness. The disciple said, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Anyone know the answer? 70 times 7. I think it's 490. So if you keep in count, can you imagine when you get to like 486? Only four left. And I don't have to do it anymore. But Jesus wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, he was saying, keep forgiving. And he told a story about a guy who owned the equivalent of like 10 million. And the owner came one day and said, I want me 10 million. He said, I, I, mate, I haven't got it. I haven't got it. And the guy who was the rich guy said, I tell you what, write your debt off. What? You let me off 10 million quid? Yeah. I'm writing it off. How would you feel? That's a bit of anxiety gone. So you've just been let off 10 million quid and you're going to the chippy to celebrate. And you see Fred. And three weeks before you, when you were in the chippy, you sub Fred a fiver to buy some chips. And he sees you and he goes, oh. And you go, hey Fred, have you got me fiver? Uh, sorry mate, it's been tough. Where's my fiver? I want my fiver now or I'm getting the old bill and I'm going to deal with you. You owe me a fiver. I can't pay it. Right, get the police. See what Jesus was saying? We don't understand. Terry shared this morning. When you think of the saviour of all the world, son of God, the one who threw stars into place, creator of all, came to this earth as a baby, died on a cross, could have at any point in that trial said, that's it, Father, hardly enough. Send 10,000 legions of angels. Let's wipe them out. No, he didn't. Went to the cross for you and me. He paid the price of sin that no matter how righteous you try and be and how good you try and be, you'll never pay it. 
He wrote it off. So if we can't forgive each other, what does that say? Have we really grasped the gospel? Or are we religious? The treasure of forgiveness. He talks about the treasure of fasting. And I'm not going to go into this, but I want to, we're not even going to get through this, guys. Well, I'll, I'll go the best I can, all right? We may have to go into, move Ephesians a bit further up. Because there's a lot in here, I want to say, to the church. <clears throat> but have you noticed what it says? In verse 21 of chapter 6, Jesus says this. Now, he, he, when I used to, I used to get this verse, this one verse mixed up. Anyone ever say to you, follow your heart? Anyone ever said that to you? Said it to me. Follow your heart. You know, really go what you really feel. Jesus said it didn't work like that. It's the other way around. Look at verse 21. He talks about storing up all this treasure on earth or in heaven. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Oh, that's interesting. I thought it was the other way around. I thought where you put your heart, your treasure will be. Jesus didn't say that. What's real treasure to you? Your life will follow. Wow. We okay for five more minutes? <laughs> it's five past twelve. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll finish it at quarter past. Promise you. We'll see how far we get. But wow, your your heart will follow your treasure. Very interesting. That. Very interesting. The next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. See, this is all to do with anxiety. These are the causes of anxiety. Stacking it all up in this life, worrying about it. Trying to get that next thing. Striving for it. And Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is Jesus saying? He's actually speaking right into the 21st century. We live in probably the most visual age we've ever lived in. Good and bad. If I use a visual illustration, everyone will remember it. You'll all probably remember. Some of you will never make a brew again if you were here that Sunday when I put the tea bag in the water. About the Word of God. Visual, see? It does something. And what do the marketing people do? They know it. Bang, bombarding you. You must have this. You must have that. To be accepted, you want this. 
Do you know they used to have a thing called subliminal advertising? Anyone heard of it? Do you know what it is? So years ago, it was banned. You go to the cinema years ago, before we all had TVs all the time, you'd pop out to the cinema. Because that's the only entertainment you had. And you'd go down in those old cinemas, apparently, and sit there. And in the projector, they'd flash a picture of an ice cream. So quick, you didn't pick it up. With your natural eye. But your mind, your subconscious would get it. And you'd say, David would be there. Hey, Dana. Should we get some ice creams at the interval? <laughs> well, you never said that, Dave, when we came in. Well, I just fancy, I, I fancy a cornetto. And what had happened is, to your mind, they flashed a picture of a cornetto. See, we pick things up with what we see. Now that's in the subliminal. Think about your everyday life. Look at the trouble of sexuality. Pornography. I click away now. I click away. We're stimulated by what we see. It's interesting how the Lord connects this to anxiety. I don't think I ever get through a Sunday without mentioning a Puritan. John Bunyan writer of Pilgrim's, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, great book. He wrote a few books, Bunyan. And he wrote one called The Holy War. Bunyan lived in 1620 till 1677. And in The Holy War, he talked about a city inside you called, sorry ladies, don't take it wrong, this, but it's called Mansoul. The city of Mansoul. Now you know what your soul is, it's where your thoughts and your imaginations and your will, and all those things. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the little thing that pumps around, the blood around your body. We're talking about the, the, the centre of your life. Your soul. The real you. And Bunyan talked about, he had this concept of man's soul. And he said, in man's soul, at the entrance, is what's called eye gate. Eye gate. And he said, I gate, and he mentioned what a large part it played in admitting enemies into the city of Mansoul. The heart has no more influence in a gate than the eyes. And if we are wise, we shall do as what Job said, Bunyan says, in Job 31, 1. I will make a covenant with my eye. And guard my heart that I will not look at a wicked thing. Ooh. Hang on a minute. A bit strong? I make a covenant with my eyes. You know David, great King David? I love David. He messed up, you know. One day when his army had gone off into a battle, it was spring, that's what they did. And he decided, this one, boys, I'm missing out. I'm going to stay back. You all go. And one night, he's walking on the balcony of his palace. And he sees a beautiful lady bathing, naked. Not far away. He started to 
he forgot the covenant with his eyes. He forgot the covenant with his eyes. And it led to adultery and murder. Because it was the wife of one of his friends. Now there was forgiveness for David. But read your Old Testament. It cost him. He was forgiven. But consequences happen, you see. And we go through stuff. But, make a covenant with your eyes. David himself said this in Psalm 103. I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside from the right path. It shall not grasp hold of me. Psalm 119. We don't know really who wrote. That's the longest psalm in the Bible. Verse 37 said this. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Wow. Jesus said, if your body's full of light, your eyes, sorry, Quickly, 1 John. This is the beloved apostle. You know who wrote the Gospel of John? He wrote three little letters at the end of your New Testament. Listen to what he says. Listen, church. Do not love the world. That's not talking about people. That's not talking about ethnos, people. It's talking about cosmos, the system. Do not love the cosmos, this world, or the things in the cosmos. If anyone loves the cosmos, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the cosmos, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the cosmos. If you want to know what sin is, there's your definition. Do you remember what happened in the Garden of Eve? When she saw that the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil looked good for food. When she saw it, her eyes. The world, the cosmos, is, this is encouraging, passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God or the will of the Lord, will of God, abides forever. See, it's a temporary and eternal talked about investments this week with someone. They said, short term or long term? Short term. Or long term? See, however bad this is down here, and it gets pretty bad. I'm not a Christian who believes that 
it's all, hey, let's just float through heaven on a crowd. It's all, I'm be happy, clappy, great. I believe in happy, I believe in praising God. But we go through some stuff, but it isn't going to last forever, this. This is not our home. We're only passing through. You know, I'm going to finish on this. Revelation 3. We'll come back next week. Can we, can we, can we go back next week to this? Because it's a good, it's a big subject, guys. Revelation 3. I always give my notes to Joyce. So you'll be ahead of me next week, Joyce. But Revelation 3, I'm going to finish on this. And in these early chapters of Revelation, John, this beloved apostle, the one who loved, was loved by Jesus, who just wrote about not loving the world, they tried to burn him, you know, in a vat of oil. And he wouldn't die. So they sent him to an island, a slave island called Patmos. What did he look like after you've been in a vat of oil? And when you read the book of Revelation, remember that. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You don't know if it was Sunday or the Lord's Day in that culture was the Emperor's Day. I was in the Spirit. And he had this revelation. And the first one was about a bunch of letters to churches. You may know it. If you don't know the Bible very well, have a read this afternoon. It's an interesting book, Revelation. But these letters, and in chapter 3, you read about a church in a place called Laodicea. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, These are the words, this is Jesus speaking to him, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, the beginning of God's creation. He says this to the church. Jesus says this to a church. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm. Anyone ever had a lukewarm drink? Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What? The church? For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything. Not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. You know, that's trials. Gold refined by fire. You ever felt the fire of God on your life? Burning the impurities out? White garments. This is righteousness, folks. That you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And listen to this. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And it's not talking this time about what you can see in this room. It's what you can see of God. Have you got a revelation of the living God? Anoint your eyes with salt. Sound. What the heck is solve? The email this after, uh, internet this afternoon. What the heck is solve? That you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. You see, I love that scripture. And I had a big picture of it on my wall when I was a kid. Home and hunt. But to be contextual, it's not an outreach, it's not an outreach verse. You know, the Lord's knocking at the door of your heart. I'm all for that, don't mind that. But the context, he's speaking to a church. He's saying, are you going to let me in, church? Or are you all right on your own with your program? You going to let me in? I'm standing at the door. Get to myself. Finish with this. A thousand in the BBC, they put an article out in 2.15 called Balds, B-A-L-D-S, Balds, I solve. And they discovered a book. <laughs> you love this. A thousand-year-old treatment for eye infections could hold the key to killing antibiotic-resistant superbugs, experts have said. Scientists created a 9th century Anglo-Saxon remedy using, get it, onion, garlic, and part of a cow's stomach. And they were astonished to find it almost completely wiped out, methicillin-resistant, big word, otherwise known as MRSA. The remedy was found in Ball's leech book. Wow. Get on Amazon this afternoon and get a copy of Ball's Leech Book. An old English manuscript containing instructions on various treatments held in the British Library. But it was iSolve. iSolve. To help you see. See, if you ever go to the opticians, you can find a lot about your health from your eye. <laughs> 